Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from California, the Golden State, and living here in sunny, beautiful Beijing, city of museums. Today with me is Alex. Hello, everybody. This is Alex, and all of my introduction of the city I am living in has been all taken by Jason. <laughs> But I am. I am here. Two things I'm proud of. I am proudly from the northeast part of China, and I'm proudly a woman. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. International Women's Day, we at the bridge are bringing you an eagle's eye view of some of the topics trending in the lives <laughs> of the folks holding up half the sky. Fortunate we have Ambassador Alex Schur on behalf of women here today to give us <laughs> the perspectives of women in the world of 2023. Ambassador Schur, are you ready to begin? I am so ready for this day to come because as of last year, I think my company <laughs> has officially decided to give all female employees half day off on International Women's Day. Sounds like a half measure. <laughs> <laughs> well, we only we only hold up half of the sky. Oh, it's a metaphor. Uh, no, but half a day, I am more than happy already. So Before we get into all the topics, because I found, you know, a bunch of topics that I think are interesting as a man, maybe mm -hmm. I'm wrong. But uh, Let's see. Mm -hmm. before we get there, growing up, have you thought about International Women's Day or has Women's Day affected you when you hear that there's a Women's Day as a woman? How do you think about that day? What kind of ideas come into you? Correct mind? me if I am wrong. From a personal perception um, point of view, International Women's Day has always been something that Chinese people are very familiar with. I feel like as long mm. as I've had memory I've always remembered International Women's Day being celebrated in China. Some companies do it where they give female employees half a day off. Some um, employers give them gifts or, you know, like back in when I was a little kid, people were still very much pragmatic. The things that they would get from their company was probably like rice, oil, meat and all kinds of stuff that actually helps with their daily life. Hmm. Of course, later on, people are like, oh, why are you giving women like things like that? And then to bind them in the kitchen. I was like, well, that's what their family needs. And their, she mm. needs to eat. Her family needs to eat. And that actually <laughs> is very helpful. And then nowadays, like people are a little more celebratory, I think. And there's more um, awareness of women's rights or just celebrating women as a group um, in important mm -hmm. existence mm -hmm. in this world. And sometimes we get like random flowers from another coworker. They just, you know, buy flowers mm -hmm. and make sure that we all each has a rose on our desk. <laughs> I've seen. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And a couple of my former companies, they did that as well here, here in China. I did that for my team on Valentine's Day. I bought I bought 20 roses and give one, give a rose to each of them. <laughs> in the United States, we have our own narrative about women's emancipation and progress. I'm actually curious if you could tell us a little bit about From mm -hmm. when you were a child or maybe history or your grandmother's age to now, like what is the what how do you see the narrative on the progress for women's rights in China? Mm, again, might be biased, but I definitely think that women are really women are actually very well respected in a lot of scenarios. I know that people are there are people that are going to jump out and say, but this happened and that happened. But largely they're mm. very, very respected and When I was much younger, mm -hmm. we had a vice premier that was a woman. Mm -hmm. And then I remember my mom kept saying, like, you need to be like her. Like, when you grow up, like, you need to <laughs> no pressure or anything. Sorry, mom. Sorry <laughs> to disappoint you. I don't think that's going to happen with given my age and my status. No, I don't think that's never going to happen. Mm -hmm. But it's always been there. We always had really, you know, role models throughout different phases of Chinese history when we were in struggle when when we were trying to defend our own country there were a lot of female um you know heroine stories that are being talked about and we all like learned about it and then um I think closer to the the, the decades that we were born in like 80s and 90s um, there were actually a lot of uh female athletes Mm -hmm. That are very well respected and really admired by the people. If you ask any Chinese person uh, above the age of 35, I mean, we know it too, but like people, 
that are of our parents' age, like 50s and 60s, you talk to them about the mm-hmm. the Chinese female volleyball team, they are going to say that there is a female volleyball team spirit. It's a thing mm-hmm. that, you know, it really perpetuated. Um, Not just because of that movie from last year. That movie was like a fruit of what that <laughs> was. But like even before that movie, my mom was always saying like, like see the 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 volleyball team spirit, which is like, we're going to make something out of nothing and we're going to just stick it out until the very end and we're going to give it all we have and we'll believe in the unbelievable. So then there's that. And then like later on, there are a lot more internationally well-known people that we're really looking up to, like the the very, very uh, well-known host, who's also an, an alumna from my undergrad, uh, Miss Yang Lan, who spoke at the, you know, the, the Olympic, uh, when we were trying to, when we were applying to be a hosting country for the 2008 Olympics, she delivered a really amazing speech to the rest of the world. And then there's other like internationally mm-hmm. renowned film stars and then like mm-hmm. even entrepreneurs mm-hmm. like home and abroad. And they're just always really, really well-known, really mm-hmm. high status, high status female role models that us like younger i'm not that young anymore but um (laughs) younger women could look up to 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 learn from and then that's you know that's who you see are doing stuff in in, that you could look up to there's also um i'm sure like in my grandma's time like our grandma was like my grandma really prides herself in raising a family and mm-hmm, then mm-hmm. really sending um, her kids to school and then helping them with their marriage after my grandpa passed away. And she did that all by herself and she's very proud of it. Um, and then my mom um, comes to my mom's generation because of the open reform, like more, more people, more people are working um, and they got into the whole mm-hmm. business side of the working place, not just, you know, factories and stuff. And my mom's a business manager and she mm-hmm, still is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I look at my mom um, as someone who's very active in her career to today, you know, our generation generally, you know, people that are 20 to 40, mm-hmm. we're a little more forward with what we think and we can say a lot of stuff that um, my parents probably didn't have time to care about mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to women's rights, it comes to equality and all of those things. But I just felt like either whatever role a woman was playing in her lifetime, like most of the time they're very well respected. And there's so many stories that you could get from different stages of Chinese mm, history mm, mm. to, to look at the role of, of women. And of course, some of the ideas nowadays, when we look at it are really outdated, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but again, they are well respected. Do you know, there are a lot fewer children in this next generation, not just in China, but around the world, Europe, United States, Australia, China too, though, is, is yeah. this demographic issue. Do you think it's because more women are pursuing careers and are don't have time for kids? Is that something that is affecting that? I mean, it could be. It's kind of factually is. And of course I'm not, because I am my, I think the age of women who bear children is becoming, you know, older mm. and older. Mm. I just feel like there, mm-hmm, there, mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that contribute to that change. It's really interesting. Maternity leave in uh, China is considerably different from a lot of other places in the world. And I, I've seen this misrepresented in a lot of maps that show like, you know, the world map and women's rights and stuff. But in the United States, I believe it's uh, zero days for maternity leave. Whereas in China, it's five months. Am I wrong? Is that right? Four or five months. It depends on your company. Wow. So that that's pretty impressive. Five months of maternity leave in China. So would you consider that uh, an advantage for women? Because then they can they have enough time to take care of their child until it's like, you know, healthy enough that they can pass it over to an I or the husband or whatever. And women can return to the workplace. I mean, I think maternity leave, I think I read about this a couple of days ago. Uh, I forgot which country it was, but it was a northern European country where they started to give male employees the same amount of maternity what? wow well then it can't be called maternity leave anymore it's like parental leave you have a newborn yeah. they will give the dad the same amount of time that they give uh the mom so that they could huh. both be in their child's uh first couple months of their life and they could really help each other out hmm. yeah and, and chinese i think we're i think right now for guys it's like a month but um i think at least for my company at least and other a lot of the bigger companies mm-hmm. even after they return from their maternity leave they still have extra time i think every week 
to, I think they still have time to just spend with their kid for a whole day. And then every day they could leave earlier because mm. they know the company knows that they have to. For how long is that? I think it's that's like a. I don't know the exact month, but that's for as long as you're wow, breastfeeding. that's amazing. I got to see an anthropologist yeah. uh, give a speech. This was, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. This anthropologist was very pro-breastfeeding. Yeah. And she she claimed that she breastfed her son until he was nine years old. Okay, that's... <laughs> no, but when, no for, hang on, we're slowly. Uh, she didn't mean by the actual breast. She meant, you know, for the first year it was on the breast, and the rest of it, he was still consuming breast milk as part of his diet until he was oh, nine. She claimed that it increased IQ points... Mm. Three IQ points higher for each year done. What? So what do you think about that, Alex, as a woman? <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> I've always. So my parents always talk about things like this, like they're uh, they have someone. There's always someone. It's in the rural areas, like in the in the mm-hmm. like 70s or something that they're mm-hmm. every village had that one kid that would run home to their mom at the age of 12 and still like 12. Wow. Yeah. That's like I'm like, OK, <laughs> I don't know about that. Mm, no, but, um, my parent, I, I have a lot of my friends uh, my age already have children. Um, and then I talk to them all the time and. Some of them breastfeed to the till the kid is like almost two. And then some of them stop breastfeeding after one month because they're like, you know, I don't mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, I need mm-hmm. I want to take my kids out, all my kids to see people and socialize. And I don't want to just always have to like breastfeed them. So and moms do it differently. And then if you choose to breastfeed your kid or give them breast milk until they're nine, I mean, that's I, I think that's well within your records. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I have no idea how I if that were to happen to me, I'm not a father. But if I were to be in the position, I, I think I would just probably be like, OK, summer, uh, that's up to you, whatever <laughs> you want to do. Like, honestly, yeah, I had a kind of joke because you're a comedian. I uh-huh. think my joke's not very funny. It's probably been told a thousand times well, let's before. See. It's not. Let's hear unique. it. OK, I was hoping I could explain something to you. It's uh, called mansplaining. <laughs> this is when a man tells a woman. Sorry, I'm laughing. It's pretty good, huh? <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing so hard. I lean back. Sorry. Um, I was just thinking because it's women's rights. What kind of stupid jokes could I think of? And that popped yeah. in my head. Yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Okay, so this is by Paula Koto, February 10th, 2023, from the org, And it says, the technology sector has outstanding debts on gender equality. Mm. So it says uh, under a subheading, what needs to be done to support women and girls and technology and innovation? And mm. so one of the things proposed is promote investment in the education of young women. And it specifically talks about Latin America. Faces the yeah. challenge in completing schooling and motivating women in the face of biases, stereotypes, and the lack of role models. How about you in China? Mm. I know, I know, a little China oriented, but do you feel that there are lots of uh, scientist roles in your when you were like a young girl mm. and you're growing up? Were there role models in science and STEM and things like that? I mean, to be very very honest, I think the only female role model in science that everybody was looking. Up to was Madame Curie. <laughs> you know, everybody's like, oh, Julie Fu, you're like, Madame Curie, Madame Curie. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely are Chinese female scientists, but I was not very much into science. So I never had a oh, yeah. yeah, I never had a role model. Is that because there was a lack of role models, Alex? Back then, I I mean, I think factually there might have been fewer women in science than there were in Chinese, but mm. I think uh, was it a year ago or two years ago when uh, the film Me and My Country was made i don't know if you want to see that film it's like a it's not a trilogy but it's like a three-part i did see it yeah i saw it twice remember uh zi zhang played a role of a a a scientist who has to very meticulously carve out the fire powder or the whatever that is for the for our own rockets vaguely yes so i know there are a lot of women that are like that and because that story was from um, mm, the mm. field decades ago, and we just didn't hear about them. And I'm glad people are 
looking up those stories and telling them、mm. nowadays with modern media. If we didn't have it back then, we have it now. Have you seen the movie Hidden Figures? Of course, it was、I did. fantastic. I love Taraji P Henson. I love Taraji P Henson. I'll just say who a, another time. I love Taraji P Henson. If you、uh, ever hear this, I, I, the lady who played Catherine. I thought the entire movie I, was really I cool. I love her quite, so much. Actually, surprised. I didn't know any of this, and so this is like something that when I was a young person, isn't it insane? Yeah, th- there were also、yeah. not a lot of female. Uh, role models to look up to. I mean, as a young boy, I wasn't looking out for them. Are there females being represented in science? I didn't notice, but I also didn't ha- notice, like you know, you see pictures of Einstein on people's walls. I never noticed people,、yeah. uh, female scientists, on people's walls. And so this is something,、exactly. according to the UN,、uh, that needs to be fixed. And I'm I'm thinking in the United States too, because when I was a young boy, I don't remember. You know, I remember having、mm. like. A poster for garbage, which had a female singer on the on the wall, but I didn't have a poster of a female scientist. I did have pictures of Einstein. Yeah. So that is something that's not just missing from Latin America; it's missing from the United States.、Too. Yeah, definitely. I think it's everywhere. It's、uh, as we come to the civilization, we are as a whole. I mean, like the whole human being,、um, the whole world. It's the f- women are definitely getting a lot more recognition, and then, like I said, stories that are being depicted in media that are of women, female figures. In science, in engineering, from older days, like that is going to inspire a lot more young women across the world to be who they see in those big screen films. You know,、um, there's another thing in this UN article that I think is really interesting. As a you know, people like us who live in like the developed world, basically,、mm. it's difficult to always understand the issues that are facing people with less access. So it says third. It is necessary to increase access to devices and connectivity、yeah. that allows them to start interacting with technology. So I wouldn't think of that because in my house we have like five cell phones and four computers and stuff. But I guess if you're like in I don't know, sorry people in Sudan, you're in Sudan. There may be less access to this kind of technology,、mm. and so in order to facilitate women entering into、uh, STEM technology、uh, fields or、uh, you know fields that have historically been dominated by men. We need to make sure that they have telecommunications equipment. Yeah, definitely. So, like a phone. Yes, I mean it's very, it's very simple. It's like, oh, I want this. It's almost like this very interesting or funny, whatever you call it, this Chinese saying.、Uh, back in the nineties or the eighties and nineties, when the Chinese government was trying to alleviate poverty from rural areas, and、mm. people are saying. Oh, like we want these villagers to be. We want them to get more money.、We、want them to be rich. Like what happened? What happened?、Mm. What needs to happen、mm. first? And people will say, if you want to make more money, <laughs> you have to build a road first. Mm. Like mm. if you want to be rich, make sure there's a road.、Yeah. So th- it's kind of like a you know, it's not just like oh they don't want to do things. Yes, they want to, but. The way for them to get to the, the the fair or get to the market from where they live、mm-hmm. is inaccessible. So you want them to do stuff, give them something that'll help them because the will is definitely there. And then this is not an intended pun for sure.、Mm-hmm. Um, when I say the will is there, there is one person,、um, the celebrity, a huge celebrity that everybody knows about, who's been doing this.、Um, I don't know if it's on the download. I think within the STEM world, it's not on the download, but he's been doing this for.、Um, I Think over ten years. It's it's Will I Am from the the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> no, do you know his foundation? I do not. He has a foundation called I Am Angel Foundation.、Mm-hmm. He I knew about this because there was this lady Lily who was working in China, and I think I got to know her when we were working on Tenex Beijing together. Over again, this is over ten years ago, over like twelve years ago almost, and I got to know her and. So、one way or another, because she's a very she's a great advocate for like you know、um, a lot of like for women's rights for 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 education for the underprivileged groups. When she went back to the states, somehow she started working with Will I Am on the I Am Angel Foundation. And what they do is that they mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they do exactly what we just talked about. They、mm-hmm. empower kids that are a little underprivileged or people with kids、mm-hmm, that are.、Mm-hmm. Not having the enough resources for their education,、um, they give them devices. They give them training、mm. programs, and they set them up to be part of the programs. Basically, and then I met some of the kids once when Lily went to Boston, and she took a bunch of kids, high school kids.、Um, That are are either from are either like Latinos or or、um, from my other minority groups. 
they were being sent to these robot camps to train and to try and to compete. And we were able to all sit down together to eat Indian food. And then at the end of dinner, Lily said, don't worry, this dinner is all my boss. And I said, so you mean, well, I am just bought me dinner. She said, well, if you want to think about it that way, it's kind of (laughs) true. But he is doing, he's using his influence and his impact to really just connect resources. Of course, he's putting his personal, uh, probably his, uh, definitely his time and his fund into it as well to really give all of these kids and especially girls that are, you know, traditionally not as well received or welcome to the science community world. They're uh, they're reaching these kids at a younger age, mm-hmm. giving them the devices and the equipment that they need to really study and explore. And I'm saying this because one day I would love to have Lily Cam on our show or if it's ever, ever possible. <clears throat> well, I am as well. We'll see. Hey, one can dream. Girl, a girl can dream. And that's what we're talking about today. Well, absolutely. If you're interested in coming on our show, reach out to Alex. <laughs> <laughs> no, I still see. I really see Lily being put in the spotlight, like everywhere they go, um, whatever conferences it is mm-hmm. um, where, you know, Will I am is being asked to be the kind of the center of the spotlight but even when he is the center of the spotlight he always points to lily cam and he's like oh uh my friend lily has a question or or this is the lily who helps run the whole thing so he always helps Mm -hmm. like put her in the in the spotlight to make sure that people see her who's been running uh, helping him run the foundation. You know, that's really interesting so. because that is parallel to the story of Chicas and Technologia. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right at the UN, where they <laughs> basically do very similar work to what you're speaking of. I was going to transition, mm. you know, people in the, I was actually thinking who are really influential and is it politicians? You know, who reports on politicians, people in the media. Mm. So actually maybe more influential are people in media. And so I have this article here. It's called Women in News Research Confirms Extent of Gender Gap at Top Levels of Media. Mm. So who owns these media? This is from wan-ifra.org, WAN Infra. And so we're going to go into this a little bit. And it talks about women in media. And it says that Mm. women make up only 10% of business leads in the country's win assessed. So in an assessment uh, on the editorial front, women make up just 31% of editorial leads, which covers positions like those Mm. editor-in-chief or uh, executive editor. So the people who decide what media is worth covering are largely men. So that is going to bias the entire an entire mm. civilization. So if your entire civilization is based on, well, I guess 31%, so 69% of people being men, then who's going to be the dominant voice in conversations? Yeah, like what I said, oh, what's being seen or what's not being seen in media. There is some sort of subconscious manipulation that's in there. And it's not necessarily mm-hmm. ill intended, but it, it is true. So just because we didn't hear about mm-hmm. these stories doesn't mean that these stories didn't happen or existed. You know, I notice a lot because I have my own biases, What you know, not necessarily just because I'm a man, but because I'm interested in, you know, U.S. China, Sino, you know, Sino U.S. relationships, the relationship between China and the United States, the relationship with China and other countries. I'm very interested in this. So when I know that there is a story happening and it doesn't get in the media, I always feel Mm. put out. Like, why is this buried? Why is this not covered? Why is it less represented? So I have to imagine, you don't have to, (laughs) for our male listeners, imagine what it must be like for women who only make up 31% of editorial leads Mm. and a lot of issues that might be really important to women are being buried because 69% is uh, of editorial leads are comprised of men who are saying, oh, maybe this issue isn't something people are interested in. Mm. I know from working in media that when I, so I sometimes I feel very passionate about something <laughs> and the people I work with are like, mm, no. And so I know what the, how that feels to have something that you really uh, love and care about not yeah. be taken up. I think this is something we need to, to address. We need to get more women into editorial lead positions. When I was uh, going to journalism school in Boston, we had a few female professors. Um, and then there were awesome, awesome journalists, Susan Walker, um, who's the professor for our, our, our TV program. And then um, Andrea, I forgot her name. But 
So these, I had three professors, one in TV, one in radio, one is like a sports journalist, but she was teaching the art of interview. And these three ladies are all in there. I think back then they're in their like mid or late fifties. They all grew up in the kind of the boys club days mm-hmm. of news. So they had to be extra tough. They had to be really just spot on with whatever they needed to do. But that also made them really, really amazing journalists. Yeah. And they're so when you go to their class, they're so straight to the point. They're not about all of the other stuff. And they're so tough and they're so uh, capable. And you really, really admire the people that they, the kind of person that they are. I mean, Professor Susan Walker, Professor Ann Donahue, um, and Andrew Creamer, there she is. Um, and these professors really, really inspired me. And then luckily, a lot of people in our program, as news evolved, like it became more balanced when it comes to male reporters and, and female reporters. And, you know, behind the camera, in front of the camera, behind the camera, it's becoming mm-hmm. more mm-hmm. balanced. And these women, younger women, I think, thanks to those um, the predecessors, they were able to have a mm-hmm. bigger range of work they could do, and they almost have more space to be more like themselves, and they don't have to just be trying to toughen up and mm-hmm. survive. So mm-hmm. that's, I forgot why I started talking about this. <laughs> so there are leadership positions. I think the story you were trying to tell, let me mansplain it to you a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get yourself some like internet, internet hates. And be like, ooh, the host of this show kept trying to mansplain things to the to the woman who forgot her story <laughs> it's you're saying that there there are leaders in the field now and so there are younger ladies who are going to move into positions because of the leadership that Definitely. was shown by the professors that was more Definitely. like ma- man questioning thank you, thank you. The, the female that's, that's more to, like mesmerizing man- <laughs> nice well done that was pretty good you're listening to the bridge Another article by the same group, when-infra.org. Uh, this is from the same, a few days apart from the other article. Interesting. February 7, 2023, the Wall Street Journal, Economist, and Financial Times all now have female editors. What does it mean for business? Mm. So that's really interesting, actually, mm. that uh, one article just a few days apart also points out that some of the largest business publications the most important business pu- publications in the world all have female leaders. Mm. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, it's kind of unavoidable. <laughs> <laughs> I think for news specifically back then in the old days, mm. there was a lot of, you know, the world was still a bit more turmoil. And and, and if you want to get to the front line, you have to be like, there's a lot of probably and probably involved a lot of physical work. And, and funny enough, like editors in general, even for women in film, and this is part of film history, mm-hmm. editors in the beginning time of films were mostly women it was mostly oh, yeah. yes because it's very meticulous work and because you know back in the days it's big machines and you have to cut by frames right you have to hmm. always say oh what what goes on the cut room floor what stays and what's the because it's called a, back then you have to make a splice meaning like you have to cut it and you put mm-hmm. piece it together you make it a splice and that work is very like you need to have a lot of patience and you need to have a, just a really great attention to detail to be able to to do that otherwise it is going to become a to watch mm. but so like early days is mostly women right but like later on even some of the most amazing iconic movies that are looked as milestones in film history from Mar- martin scorsese was mm. edited by a female editor um mm. she was she was the person who edited uh raging ball something because some of the people like oh a female editor she's gonna edit some like rom-com stuff and it's like you know um she she didn't though she edited raging bull she edited a lot of martin scorsese's really violent films and scorsese says said that if i didn't know her if she's not there to uh edit my film my films wouldn't be as violent as they are so she's adding wow because she knows it's not because she's a, she's a violent person uh Thelma Schumacher it's not because she's a vi- violent person it's because she is mm-hmm. she has a great 
eye. And then she kind of knows Martin Scorsese. And there, there are a lot of videos. If you watch it, it's really interesting mm-hmm. how she talks about her working relationship is with Martin Scorsese and how she makes it, you know, the, I don't know if you remember the really, really famous scene in Enraging Ball where they're fighting and then it like flashes. Mm-hmm. I think like that's partially her that put it together, even though they came up with the idea of like a million, mm-hmm. million light bulbs going on at the same time. And she had to edit it together. So she made that happen. So a lot of things like editorially as well, I think a lot of work was done by women, you know, previously. And then the the, the boys kind of came in and make it like more, you know, competitive and stuff. But I think now it's kind of after those two periods and it's kind of resuming its its natural rhythm and, and balance. Mm. Wow. Where did you learn that? So cool. <laughs> Yay. Finally get to throw out all that stuff. Why did I get that degree? I know. <laughs> so one day I can talk about it on a podcast. Um, but, you know, what's interesting in this article about uh, women starting to take over leadership roles in media is that actually there are quite a few chief editors mm. still underrepresented. I, I don't I want to emphasize that the first article still counts, but that there are increasingly editors who are female. So Alessandra Golani, I'm sorry if I butchered your name, chief of Reuters. Sally Busby is executive editor of The Washington Post. Deborah Turnus, the CEO of BBC News yeah. and Current Affairs, and Julie Pace is executive editor of Associated Press. So even though it is skewed and there are only 31% of mm. these jobs are female, there do seem we, we seem to be making progress civilizationally and including more female voices in media, yeah. which is important because media determines, you know, if, if you count movies and music as part of media, and then you're looking at also journalism as media, then you're talking about basically the people who are deciding the direction of civilization because they tell everyone what is cool what is happening everything literally it's absolutely it's absolutely true the kind of the ancestor of media if you think about it is gossip and gossip is essential <laughs> to human beings to form communities and this is not my theory this is from the book sapien part of her <laughs> bachelor's degree read, read about. <laughs> when i read about that i was so mm-hmm. happy i was like because i love gossip <laughs> like, I, I love the fact that it is mm. it's being proved as an essential reason for human beings to exist as a group like this is great mm-hmm. but media is a formulated and organized and regulated mm. content of some sort of a gossip you know if you really think about it so if it is uh the core to an existence of us as a community then it should have a voice represented uh, represented from every group this community consists of yeah we also began this episode by talking about leadership and role models. And we've kind of this keeps coming up. But at the end of this article, I think it's really interesting because I'm a nerd. They introduced the word homophily. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But it says women in business are more likely to be known by women in media, something called academics call homophily. And so success breeds success. And uh, mm. being appointed to a job means that women are taking them are more likely to meet other successful women. And then you get preferential attachment. So basically, Absolutely. the more leadership positions are taken up by women, the more women we're going to see in other related fields of le- where le- leadership positions are needed. Yeah, definitely. And then within China, I mean, I know it's if you are in China, if you're listening to our show, especially if you are a decision maker for your organization, there are actually a lot of organizations, um, international organizations, NGOs and nonprofit organizations within China for you to collaborate with, um, literally just look up the words uh, women's rights or women's um, mm-hmm. uh, empowerment. Mm-hmm. There's going to be, um, I personally participated in a women's empowerment conference back in 2021. And it was great mm-hmm. to see so many. Here in China. Here, of course, here in China. And then a lot of mm-hmm. companies like ExxonMobil, other big, you know, international and uh, multinational companies are all really pioneering this and being the leader up in the front to advocate for women's rights and celebrating women. Um, And they put a lot of effort into this as well. So there's a lot of resources and a lot of opportunities and a lot of real things Mm -hmm. that you as a company or organization could really do to not if Mm -hmm. advocacy is not your thing, there's a lot of things you can do to just Mm -hmm. celebrate Mm -hmm. women. It's probably also just important to have like metrics in place where it's required. Otherwise, you're going to get certain people who are closet uh, anti-women who are going to not put the women into the appropriate positions. Mm. But I wanted to just jump through a whole bunch of topics 
here. We're going to just do the first one is from TheGuardian.com. Anti-strike bill discriminates against women, say, campaigners. And it says that there is a new law being potentially going to be passed. Uh, Feminist campaigns groups have raised alarm about the government's anti-strike bill, which will enforce minimum service levels, saying women's rights will be disproportionately affected by the restrictions. And then it notes in the article that says, The teaching force is 75% women with 89% support staff who are women. Mm. And the National Health Service is 77% of the workforce are women and 82% are women in social care. Mm. And so it goes on and on. It does mention that women make up less in transportation and fire services. Mm. But basically, there's a new law that's coming into play that's basically making striking illegal or not illegal, but much more challenging. And it's going to disproportionately Mm. affect women because they're the ones who are in the jobs where this law is going to be applied. This kind of goes the other way for a lot of people. You know how, I mean, of course, I don't think we should, uh, hold on, let me organize my thoughts. Sure. Um, I feel like this is, again, something that we need to look at from a social level. Mm -hmm. Every time things, topics like this are elevated to legislation level, Mm. It's going to kind of segue the discussion to, you know, like to arguing about semantics and not what the topics really are or what the real solutions are. I'm not saying legislations are powerless, of course, is going to carry out a great impact. But Mm -hmm. whether we're advocating for them or whether we're trying to change things for them, it really comes from it comes from conversations like this. You know, like with talking about talking about women mm-hmm. being the mm-hmm. largest workforce in in as caregivers or, or in the health system. I don't know if you read like there are a lot of mm-hmm. stories lately um, where they're really talking to like male nurses, male kindergarten teachers. Mm-hmm. They started out as feeling embarrassed as well. I think a lot of them or a lot of them were. And then there are people who really like to work in that kind of line of jobs. But mm-hmm. because traditionally these are all more women they felt like oh i couldn't do it but as more stories are being covered in that front there are more people joining the workforce and then the real real changes mm-hmm. or the real mm-hmm. harm will come from that kind of coverage you I, know, think. I remember uh in the united states as a young man watching a movie with michael keaton 1980s michael keaton is the best michael mm. keaton by the way <laughs> and he was in a movie called mr mom my whole family was based on watching movies so i would watch movies we had cassettes instead of a library we had some books and we had a movie library of cassettes and uh, mm. I watched Mr. Mom over and over and over. And it's about a, a dad who's uh, lost, loses his job or, 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 or he's not making very much money and his wife can make a ton of money. So she goes to work and he stays home to take care of the domestic things. Yeah. And he, he has adventures and, you know, being a father and being a husband and taking care of the home mm. and cooking dinner. Yeah. And I, from a young age, thought, Okay, this is the direction society is taking. Even, you know, at seven, I could tell that. And I was like, okay, cool. If I have the chance to not work and stay home, I would love to do that. Dream life. (laughs) Yeah, dream life. Just, you know, that sounds great. I like, I kind of like cleaning. (laughs) And I I have worked as a kindergarten teacher, so I never really experienced that personally. But I do notice in my own country in the United States that there are different places where culture is different not everyone grew up watching mr mom Mm. and that there you know the culture around women in the workplace is different in different Mm. regions of the united states sorry shall we move on to the next topic (laughs) i found this really fascinating this is uh, from uh also bbc seoul's capital South Korea's capital, Seoul, is removing (laughs) women's only parking spaces 14 years after they were introduced as a protection for women, which and they're very close to the front door, kind of like handicap parking. So that makes it easy at night in a parking lot for a woman to get out of her car and go straight into the market or wherever she's going, as opposed to having to traverse an underground parking garage, for example, alone so that her safety is put first and now it looks like it's going to unravel i didn't know this existed anywhere and i also when i found out they were undoing it yeah yeah go ahead i just want to ask you like i wanted to ask you like when i read this and i was like this is very um it's great something was done out of the intention to protect women but Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i like i wanted to ask you what your opinion was on this measure like how effective do you think it would be like if you were just first introduced to this idea that to help with women's safety, we're going to make female only. I feel um, two different ways for two different reasons, spots. and they're completely unrelated. 
Firstly, yeah. uh, well, three, three. I firstly don't have a car because I don't like cars. So secondly, <laughs> if I, when I did have a car, I actually tried to park farther away, further away, farther, farther away. Farther away. Yeah. And um, that's because I wanted to do, do a little walk. I also don't want to have to f- fight other drivers so for, for health like, reasons. Yeah, yeah. Also, not to get my car dinged and stuff. And I, yeah, I, I never true. minded walking 10 minutes. But the other way that I feel is that women are, in fact, in danger sometimes yeah. in some countries. I don't know how South Korea safety is, but in the United States, in cer- certain, especially very big cities, yeah. it is dangerous for women. And there are incidents in which they are taken advantage of by, you know, deranged, usually men. So mm. uh, I thought, wow, this actually makes sense to some extent. You know, as if I, a young lady, I would probably feel safer being able to be right out in front of Walgreens or whatever and just walk straight in instead of having to traverse a dark parking lot at night. But I mean, maybe my I have just weird biases. <laughs> listening to the bridge U.S. state legislative races carry high stakes for abortion cases, says Joseph Axe, according to The Guardian. Okay, according to The Guardian, you don't have to be young to build muscle. How women are breaking fitness taboo. Mm. Alex, you were just talking before the show. You were going to the gym or something today, aren't you? I plan to. I don't know. I, there are a lot of like female, uh, interesting enough, actually in China, most of people who work in fitness were female. Yeah, I know. I went, I went to a gym like coaches. eight years ago, seven years ago, and, and uh, a woman started coming up to yeah. me and like telling me what to do. And I, I was like, why is this? You're like, let me explain She was um, <laughs> trying to sell her services as a instructor to me. I didn't understand at the time. I was like, why is this person telling me what to do in the gym? You know, I'm like one of those people who likes to be left alone. So it wasn't about her being a female or male. It was or just male. like, you just didn't want to train I was like, one I person. don't want someone telling me what to do in the gym. I actually, I do go to the gym now. I go at 5 a.m. because I don't want anyone to be That's there. crazy. I always get up at five. So I'm actually there at like 515. But I don't want anyone to see me or whatever. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, it's Aww. really it's really positive. I always thought this was the case because, you know, in my lifetime going to the gym, the gym's always been 50 50 in the United States yeah. and in China. Well, yeah, so for, for us, because the whole like I think the whole going to the gym, lifting weights, getting muscles on only became a really popular game. Um, or popular business in the past maybe 15 years like before that people are going to the gym as well but it's to like either run or are or, or doing those like ellipticals and stuff and maybe they will do some sort of squats and it wasn't as popular as it is now where basically every young man or is trying to be like what I call them a muscle dog so mm. in that kind of culture <laughs> more people became uh, fitness coaches and it, it's a lot more men but there are a lot of women around me who go to gym like probably every single day and they're just as just as like into if not more into the whole weightlifting thing as um the like their fellow male competitors and they actually when they do it it's like oh it's really they look really cool and good <laughs> well and um, there's a website i think it's called girlswithmuscle.com uh-huh. and i used to used to look at men and women to like and try to encourage myself to get in shape i can't believe that the idea that women don't go to the gym is even an idea because there are thousands of these super like Arnold Schwarzenegger looking ladies on this website of every kind of shape and size from everywhere all over the world on the website and they look like they could rip your head off. I know there's a there's a very famous what do you call it a professional athlete on Douyin her name is like she calls herself King Kong Barbie <laughs> she's hilarious and she goes to she wasn't a pro athlete before but then I think four or five years ago she decided to just train in the gym and she wanted to compete uh, she wanted to do this like you know muscle what do you call those competitions where you show your muscles and show your physique and you actually win awards and she's now she's like traveling in the states for some other competition and she has a really amazing personality i love it she's so straightforward and so funny and she gets so mad when people ask her questions she's like stop asking me questions where can i um can i eat this and still get muscles she's like do you know how hard you need to train that little food that you eat doesn't even matter (laughs) you need to to just eat like a normal person and train like a freak you know something like that she's a 
great representation because a lot of people, because of the way, because she's a pro athlete, mm. she gets really, like you said, really buffed and, and you know, her muscle tones, her muscle lines are super toned. Mm. And then there are people who are like, oh, are you a man? Or are you a woman? She, so she would, yeah, she would just wow. fight back and there was no mercy left. And I love her for that. Speaking of fighting back, the next article is about Michelle Yeo. Am I saying that right? Michelle Yeo. I hear that name. Sorry, I hear that name too often because Michelle Yeo is is my boyfriend's goddess. Like he loves her. (laughs) Oh my God. He loves her. What? Okay, Mm -hmm. sure. Uh, She said, shut up at the Golden Globes. She said, shut up, please. I can beat you up. Okay. And I'm serious when they tried to play her off the stage. Oh my God. Did you watch that video? (laughs) I I don't watch the Golden Globe. I didn't watch the Golden Globe, but I have to watch Michelle Yeo's uh, (laughs) awards acceptance speech because that was so it was so it's such a milestone and so such an important moment for a lot of people mm, and mm. plus we just we all love michelle yo mm. and then i watched that whole speech i was like this is this is so can i say the word this is so badass like, <laughs> <laughs> i don't know another word for it but like go michelle yo mm. and then it, you know an asian american actress at the age of she's what 60 i, I, did, I yeah, don't know at the, she's at, at her age for asian american actress at her age to still try such different types of movies and actually won Mm, the mm. the award as the best actress i think that is so phenomenal and that is so meaningful it was so hard for me to imagine the people that were backstage at the golden globes to be like oh you know what let's just cut her off i was like how dare how dare you so when she is it is it a gender thing or is it just like everyone has like i don't know 45 seconds or a minute or something and they just start the music i wouldn't say i wouldn't put you know blames or or i wouldn't try to guilt trip people or say that they did this because she's asian or she's women but was that intern ed yeah no more you're never going to be employed in this town again ed. yeah it's just something i, I wouldn't say that <laughs> or maybe they're just going by the books and doing their jobs but i know if it's al pacino on that thing you would wouldn't dare to do that to Al Pacino, you know, or, or Robert De Niro. Hmm. You wouldn't hmm. do that to them. So for for and Michelle, you it's not like, and I'm not saying that you should do this to people, but what I didn't like about the Oscars is that I know that it's a tightly uh programmed like TV broadcast and it's live and stuff, but I really hate it when um a lot of times winners of, for example, best costume design, best production design, or sometimes best sound design, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. winners of those categories a lot of times are women, or even just whoever is a winner of that, regardless of their gender, they get very they get such a short time. They could go on stage, barely say nothing, mm-hmm. and then the music comes up. And I would much rather they'd let the host do it like mm-hmm. make it an interview or something instead of using this music and then sometimes they keep talking and the music gets louder and louder this is so i'm like this is the most <laughs> passive aggressive thing you do on live television i so wish i had some music right now just I know, to slowly I know, turn up it'll be a great show some they could you could do this yeah and you could do this in post and i'll keep on talking and the music keeps getting louder but when michelle yo said that i was like you go, Michelle. <laughs> you tell them. Wow. So are there any parallels in Chinese culture where women have stood up in public, uh, the public arena and stood up like this? Um, It's not exactly in the same vein, but there is an actress. Mm-hmm. Her name is Hao Lei. Very, very amazing actress. And she was known for kind of giving really pointed comments on people's acting skills and their understanding of what the industry mm-hmm. really is. And she was super pretty. and She's still really pretty, but she... Uh, in her middle age, in her 40s, she gained some weight. Mm-hmm. But one of the shows that she was on, she was sitting here and she was kind of criticizing, or I think it's an encouragement in the disguise of of, of criticism to mm-hmm. some mm-hmm. of the young women on the show who is, who's like, oh, I am in my 30s. Nobody's willing to cast me for any good roles and it's all bad roles and mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, Miss Howe sat there and she was like, I did all sorts of roles. I, I, I did uh, good roles. I did uh, you know, stupid roles in good TV shows and stupid TV shows. In my 40s, I am at this age, I could play still whatever. You want me to be a mom, I'll be a mom. You want me to be a grandma, I'll be a grandma. Even for, she's like, I am an actress. Most of the time, people are like, you're an actress. You need to look really pretty. You need to be skinny. She's like, and she said it was so much confidence and comfort. Um, She said, look how big I am. And I'm still sitting here. And I know that I could interpret any roles that were given to me. If I put my heart into it. And I was just like, that is, and that was televised as well. And I think that's such an important message 
from someone who's made it, you know, someone who has got to the kind of the top level of the industry to tell other people. And I, I think the encouragement and the message people got were probably similar to what people got from Michelle Yeoh's uh, award acceptance speech. Well, I mean, I, I wanted to ask you, what do you think men can do for Women's Day? Um, because it doesn't seem to me appropriate for men to start passing out flowers necessarily, because that might have the sexual harassment connotation or something like that. <laughs> how can, So how can men celebrate Women's Day internationally, whether they are listeners be in India or China or the United States or wherever, yeah. and do that in a way that it doesn't come off weird and creepy? <laughs> First and foremost, I do not speak about this uh, on behalf of anyone else. This is only just me. Mm-hmm. Give me flowers anytime. I'll be very happy. Um, <laughs> especially on Women's Day, you know, I would appreciate it. But mm-hmm. as a fellow male friend i think um you don't need to do anything <laughs> just don't because when our company gave out the policy and they said oh like female employees could have half day off and then there are some male colleagues who are like well that's not fair what about the male colleagues and then da, 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 they had a lot of mm. opinions that's why i'm like you know what if you just don't don't say anything don't do nothing let us be us <laughs> that would be a great great support but also on the same time really recognize it uh, acknowledge it like I said, there are a lot of things that women do as a community that can be, it just can't be replaced. Nobody could take that away from uh, their, the women's responsibility and hardships and sometimes even misery. So in on, on one day, in this one day of a year, if you could be more understanding and more accepting to women, please be, at least be that on that day. Um, but also really just... It's not a it's never a competition. It's never about who's better or not. Let's just, again, just accept each other and be friendly and nice and understanding. Can I make a recommendation? Would that be okay? Of course. For anyone who is a a teacher, I have a recommendation. Find a (laughs) famous scientist who's not. We all know her story (laughs) a little too well. Print it in color, large, frame it and put it up in your classroom. When people ask who it is, no. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> I think I think that could be helpful. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for your time and your insights, Ambassador Sure. <laughs> no, people are going to think I'm actually an ambassador. <laughs> but on behalf of the podcast, on behalf of The Bridge, we wish everybody a happy Women's Day. 